This is the Art of Darkness podcast with Kevin Kautzman and Brad Kelly. We're a couple of very online writers interested in the dark side of what drives creative people to create against all odds. This show is about art and the people who make it, what it costs them, and what it takes to bring something unique and impactful into the world. Each episode, we excavate the life and work of an artist you might think you know. Don't worry, they're all safely dead. On every episode, we try and find out just what the hell was wrong with them and how they worked through their darkness to create something that lives on after them and continues to move culture. Find us online at artofdarkpod.com and on Twitter at artofdarkpod. very special dark room uh, for those who know and maybe those who don't a quick refresher dark room is when we revisit one of our core episode subjects and we we dive a little deeper we maybe cover some ground we didn't cover we bring in somebody who uh, knows the subject better than us oftentimes uh, knows the subject a little differently than we do um, and uh, you know knows maybe a different part of this this subject and I think in this case we've got all three we're bringing into the dark room. Oh, by the way, I'm Kevin Kautzman. I'm, I, this is Kevin Kautzman. I've done this before. How many times are you going to do that? That's amazing. We're not editing a damned thing. That's Kevin Kautzman. I love I'm it. pointing on YouTube. That's Kevin Kautzman. I'm Brad Kelly. Um, Bro, we are. No, I we thought are, I was we Brad are on, Kelly. Yeah, right, right, right. By the end of this, who knows? Yeah, absolutely, dude. Oneness. We're all one. Yeah. We're all one. Introduce yes. the guest, Brad. Yes, yes. And with us, we with us we have the great Seth Augenstein. He is the author of most recently a great historical novel, Llama with a Gun, uh, available right now. So get that. We're going to talk about it. Um, also, um, Project One Thirty Seven from twenty nineteen. I don't know as much about that, but I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's excellent. Um, also, a number of short stories that you can find out there in the World Wide Web. Um, one interesting note, Mr. Augenstein has a dog named Mishima, as far as I know. Ah, yeah, I do so, indeed. Yeah, I do so, indeed. so okay. this whole episode is really going to be about this dog named... <laughs> <laughs> We're going a, boy, a boy and his suicidal dog <laughs> named... <laughs> Mishima, who you chases... should have seen him on the snow today. Was, oh yeah, yeah. I loved it. Borderline what what breed is is Mishima? What's that breed? What breed? Oh, pit bull. He is a pit bull. A, a pit bull yeah. named Mishima. Yeah, eighty pounds. Incredible. And yeah, eighty he, pound pit bull. Okay, eighty nice. pound kamikaze pit bull. Nice. Yeah, oh, it sounds perfect. He's, yeah. he's pretty intense. <laughs> he is the in, most interesting in the household. Very so, cool. Um, wow. Yeah, he's a good good dog. Awesome. That's cool. Well, yeah. Well, so obviously the the enthusiasm. I, I reached out to Seth and 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 I was excited about Llama with a Gun, and I was like, you know, Seth, here's what our show is. Who do you want to talk about? And you know, he fired back with Mishima, and you know, this is the perfect subject. You know, we went back and forth a little bit, and it turns out Seth knows uh, maybe not as much as a person could know, but, but plenty, he knows more than me and Kevin put together, uh, by far. So I'm really excited to, to, to do this, but first I want to talk about llama with a gun. So I've been, I've been reading it. It is a, and I want you to describe it, but just so I can give my praise. It is a page turner for people who like historical fiction. It, it, it's, it's, I think, 
for people who don't read a lot, I think historical fiction brings to mind a certain kind of book a little bit. It can bring to mind for some people something a little dusty, something that's a lot about like uh, uh, throne room drama kind of, which can be great. Um, this is not that. This is an action adventure spiritual journey story. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm just really I'm just really excited about it. Um, Seth, where where did well give us the I want to hear have you just wait 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 go ahead why, why okay why does the llama have a gun <laughs> everyone, <laughs> wants to know. everyone asks it? why the llama I, has a gun <laughs> it's the hack question but I got to be the I'll be the hack yeah. uh, who really, is the it, llama why does he have a gun who is the llama why does he have a gun and also uh, very quickly just get your get your plug in right away where can people find you where can people buy the book. <laughs> Oh yeah, um, uh, SethAugenstein.com and um, Seth Augenstein on Twitter, or what are we calling it now, X or Muskville? I, I don't know. Um, it's still so, yeah. Those are the it's two best places to find me. Um, yeah, and I mean, you know, the elevator pitch or you know, cocktail party pitch. Um, when I'm telling my friends to buy the damn book, um, you know, I I tell them, uh, you know, it's the anti Dalai Lama. It's not llama clopping around on hooves and know very furry and that kind of thing in south america no this is um <clears throat> firmly historical fiction a buddhist monk through historical figure who i happened upon um through the uh i don't even know if they have it the barnes and noble bargain bin do you remember like toward the registers they used to have the hard covers that nobody would buy mm -hmm. you know it's like 3.99 and it was some total piece of trash uh you know as much as i will love a Mishima and high-minded literary stuff, you know, I read absolute trash, you know, you gotta, you gotta mix it up a little bit. So it was like occult secrets of world war two or something. Um, you know, it was all Indiana Jones, Nazi mysticism, Holy grail shit, you know? So, um, at any rate, that book cited a couple times this, uh, I cannot recommend this highly enough. This, uh, adventure novel memoir, ostensibly kind of, apocryphal whether it's how uh, true it is but uh, beasts men and gods by ferdinand ostendowski um basically a memoir of a polish guy uh, an engineer who's caught in the middle of the bolshevik revolution and he's got to go east instead of west um and you know he's fighting bears he's trying to create you know he's trying to build fires it's like half jack london um, half political intrigue. He's he's encountering all these really gnarly historical characters, one of whom is uh, Ja Lama. In that novel, he's called or the memoir, he's called Pushagoon Lama. Um, but he, you know, this character was fascinating. He just appeared like maybe like a handful of times. He'd pop up. He'd like decapitate somebody, and it would be like a funny decapitation. It was like the most bizarre, amazing thing. Um, again, I recommend that book as highly as possible. Public domain. You can. What was it called? Beasts, gods, and men. Beasts, men, and gods. Yeah, it's a great um, title. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. It's yeah. It's, it was you know a huge bestseller in its day. You know, it sold out and was translated in every language known to man. But uh, nobody remembers it because it's probably like half bullshit. So um, right. But you know, doing the deep dive on this guy because I was like, I gotta know more about this guy. I just want to read a book about him. And uh, no real firsthand sources. And it was a lot of secondary sources. I ended up, you know, going down the rabbit hole, amassing like three feet. I, I, I measure in feet sometimes with these topics. Um, foot stack. 
of uh, books and just you know you look at the index you're like shit he's only in five pages of this book mm -hmm. like well i gotta find the the next one um but i amassed enough and you know basically what it turns into is basically a western um it's a western set in mongolia it involves mysticism and um you guys i, I know you guys are fans like front of mind while writing it was uh that best Western, I would say, Western to end all Westerns, uh, Blood Meridian. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a bit of Sea of Fertility, as we're, we're talking about Yukio Mishima, with the mystical backdrop um, and and magic running through everything. Um, and, I mean, this corner of the world, like, I think even, like, the uh, all the reviews of my book were, like, really complimentary, but they were, like, absolutely like hey this is really violent like totally don't pick this up if you can't if you don't if you are a weak constitution um and i mean just doing the research and um even what's going on in that corner of the world now with the uyghurs and china with you know there's a big debate whether genocide is genocide um mm. this is a corner of the world that's like it ain't a forgiven place mm. um so mm. it, it turned into this strange magical violent world where like uh laws fear to tread i think that's one of the phrases i use yeah so yeah. um so that's where i landed and i, I i'm glad you like it yeah uh, yeah man you've done it you've done a heck of a job you you certainly can write a page turner and i could feel the research in there too like i it, it it's that's it's such an interesting project um, conceptually to me from that angle i mean even when i was kind of first familiarizing myself it's like okay yeah this actually does make sense to have a Western in this part of the world for my limited knowledge of history. It does make sense that this is how, how you, what you could do. So yeah. So kudos to you, man. And Thanks. people out there, if this sounds interesting to you, go, go get that. Absolutely. And we'll have, we'll have, we'll have links to find Seth in the, in the show notes for sure. Um, what about, uh, tell us, can you tell us a little bit about, um, uh, project 137? Yeah, sure. Um, that was a little history, not as much history. Like, you know, Llama with the guns, like all history, it's you know, I'm basically filling in the gaps in the record where I couldn't find years where he existed. But, um, Project 137, based on that gnarly World War II history, uh, Unit 731, very overlooked, very hush hush, and especially like, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a connoisseur of conspiracy theories, I like to like sample them and throw them in the trash. Uh, this is like a proven one is that, you yeah. know, basically we cut deals. The U S government cut deals with a lot of these war criminals. And we were like, Hey, you guys have a pretty good bio warfare program. Like we need that because the cold war is starting. So, um, basically I took that true history as far as we know it, which is documented, you know, through Congress and everything and, uh, extended it to the year. What the hell was it? 20, 2078. Oh, okay. 50 years to go and you know a doctor trying to solve a bunch of really heinous crimes that are you know a holdover from this uh this cartel of bio warfare so uh -huh. i i think i'm that's full of spoilers there but uh <laughs> you know it, it's still good getting there resolution yeah um, no that's not that sounds interesting to, to me as well and i'm pretty sure some people in the air of darkness audience that's gonna that's gonna tickle their fancy absolutely every yeah. single conspiracy theory cannot be false there are too many wrong they're too yeah. many they can't that's, all be wrong they can't all be wrong occasionally you hit one you know yeah. what i mean like you you aim in darts you ever mm -hmm. play darts you play cricket yeah. you're, yeah. you're aiming for like the 15 you get a bullseye yeah. eventually 
yeah. enough throws. Yeah, sure. entirely. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I one of my personal things about conspiracy theories is that they're again, you could just take the whole constellation of them and put together. They are our modern digital fo- folk tales. That's yeah. what they are. Even the true ones. Mm-hmm. Because they then they fit into this other one, and, and in any case, I love it. I think it's so fascinating, totally. and, it's, and it's natural for storytellers to be drawn to these wonderful, these wonderful well, modern stories. Well, so yeah, ghost- they're, they're they're wonderful co- consolidations of fears and anxieties and wishes sometimes, right? And, and tropes, like, you know, and yeah, 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 yeah. it's good. Yeah, stuff. and they often tell you more about what people are feeling like than say who they vote for, you know. So. Yeah. Yeah, deeper seated, and right. yeah, you you wonder what the brothers Grimm would do with like flat Earth theory, right? You know, like the break from trail would just go off in the space or something. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah that would be sure. such. I'm not trying to detract from, and we're going to talk about it. We're talking about a great Japanese, uh, you know, storyteller here, Mishima, um, and I know you've brought some some materials here. Uh, but it's like, how fun would that be to do a book of like oral history of what people believe about conspiracy theories like offline like a meta yeah <laughs> yeah that would be amazing absolutely incredible I, that'd be like a film i would watch a film of of like like uh, waking life but it's just all you know it's 12 different subjects talking about conspiracy theories i would watch that in any yeah. case that's that's for the podcast Ooh, down all right docs. all right we're gonna start yeah. a production company get that going that's oh yeah because we don't we don't have enough <laughs> project spread yeah, yeah all right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so i yeah and so kind of segueing into into talking about mishima uh, I guess first, you know, I know we've got a lot of stuff we want to talk about, but like first, um, if someone hadn't read any of him, why should they? Uh, well, I guess. And assuming they like reading, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, he ain't easy. Right. right. I mean, you know, it's it's not like, um, well, I mean, I'm sure another one of my heroes, Hemingway, like, you know, you can approach Hemingway perhaps a little easier because maybe you only get the first dimension of Hemingway. Mishima has the tortured sentences half the time and, and complex metaphors. Asian literature always seems to have these like, really arcane metaphors that just play on different levels. But um, no, I mean, I, I think he's so important because he is such like, for lack of a better uh, cliche, like a canary in a coal mine. I mean, he's like kind of like precursor, like Instagram, TikTok, you know, he's all about image. He's posing in, in death poses, you know, as St. Sebastian. Um, and I mean, frankly, like, wh- what a splash he made yeah. on his final day, right? I mean, I guess, I guess I'm, spoiler alert, I'm giving away the... Yeah, people, people listening to this, people probably know that, that he, he, he killed, he, he committed ritual seppuku at the very end of his life at the age of uh, 45, I believe it was. Um, yeah. You know, under the under the well, and this is something maybe we can talk about a little bit, but um, under the um, apparently as part of a, a coup attempt, uh, I, I'm not sure how much of that was genuine, how much of it was theater or what. Uh, maybe it's all of the above, but yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's yeah, it probably is all of the above. There's a there's a whole lot going on with this guy, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah, I mean, he um, and and I mean the work is tied up into this, right? Like he, he dated his final manuscript of this masterpiece. You know, I think by any measure, it's just an absolute, you know, world masterpiece. He completed it on the day, the morning of that. He, you know, he ended his life and, you know, in the years leading up to it, he's like, I will die when this is completed. And it's like, all right, Yukio. Yeah. You're going to go ahead and just, you know, heal over right after that. Nobody, I think saw this coming. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it seems like uh, I think maybe his wife said something. Oh, I didn't think he'd do it like right now, right, right. away. Right. Um, yeah, I, mean, I thought maybe we'd go on a trip or something, and then <laughs> <laughs> every 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 suicide obviously is unique. Every person is unique, but the, it, it strikes yeah. me that you have kind of obviously a spectrum of like where somebody who maybe things are going very, very poorly for them. And you can, can kind of go, okay, I understand, you know, why maybe you would want out. I mean, I think we can be sympathetic. Then you've got somebody like Mishima where it's like, you're on to- absolutely on top of the world. So the, the, it's the psychology of that is a lot more difficult to kind of grok for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And even you guys, you guys did such a masterful job. Honestly, I think it was like, Thanks. It was like three or four hours. You guys delved in and like like hit like almost every angle of the biography and how it feeds into into his work. Um, and I think it they touched on it. It was like he was even though he's forty five and he's this bodybuilder and he's jacked and he's like a finalist for or he's in consideration for the Nobel Prize, top of the world. Like there was just like a a wearing down of him, and there, this was like the final. Um, I mean, all acts of suicide, right? It's like a final, like, seizing of control, right? Mm. Like, that's, you want to, like, do things on your own term that's, like, you know, I guess the one option you have left is is what you perceive it as. Um, I mean, he, he strikes me as sort of, he, he was, he was uh, an open nerve. I mean, and he saw yeah. that it didn't, didn't want to live in this world if he couldn't impress his will on it. So it's yeah. a, you know, suicide statement is pretty hardcore. There, there's also yeah. a thing about his level of productivity and how much he churned out that, like as a writer, he was like 150 years old. Yeah, that's, you know yeah. what I mean? He's just like, I mean, yeah. You know, I, I could live to be 150, and I'm not going to write <laughs> half as much as this dude did. So, so there's that, that. That's the thing that struck me is uh, from a writer's standpoint, he actually is sort of like an old man at the by the end. Uh, this that 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 and, the tetralogy, everything you know, from Confessions and, of a Mask up, and even like. You know, they they started putting out translations because you know there is kind of this like uh, resurgence of interest in in this guy, and um, they've been translating like these little bite sized books recently. Within the last couple of years, like even during the pandemic, a couple of them came out, mm-hmm. and um, they're really good. They're kind of weird, like they're mm-hmm. but they're like little pop novels, and they're not real deep a lot of the time. Um, and so, and and they you know he was writing them as he was writing the tetralogy. So yeah, like to your point, he wrote like he was. A couple writers in one, probably not only chronologically, but you know, in his headspace. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's true. Yeah, he certainly had, and he was writing the plays, and it did seem like he could just like turn the knob to like, all right, well, this one's going to be like mainstream, and then this is going to be for the theater, and then this is going to be a real novel, and then yeah, it's yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. So I, I definitely want to get into the I definitely want to get into the um, the Sea of Fertility tetralogy. That was we were kind of batting back and forth, like where can we kind of focus this? And this was this was your suggestion, which I'm I'm really happy for because um, because of his level of productivity in my preparation for the the main the core episode, I kind of had to pick my battles a little bit on what to read, and I didn't really get to read as much of that as I would have liked. So um, I, I I guess kind of just jump in wherever here um what what is the sea of fertility yeah like um well even i mean just the way i got into it like in my 20s and it's like uh, you know a lot of people in their 20s don't get into this right because it's like this huge hard masterwork but like i did have a professor who was like um i was in like uh saul bellows last class um 
and like the co-professor was this guy keith botsford and like you know botsford was kind of full of shit a lot of the time like he'd tell you stories and you're like i don't think you hung out with that guy but like you go to that nathan biography that you guys cited in like at length and yeah like he like he was friends with the guy like the guy was like his his kid, first kid's godfather um and like he you know this professor of mine, Botsford, tried to produce a play of of, uh, of Nishima's, and like he totally failed, like totally failed on this Broadway adventure. So like, um, basically, like uh, they were on the outs, even though they kept up, you know. And and some of what I can say later is related to what Botsford would tell me um, about Mishima, even though we never learned. At any rate, yeah, that's how I got into it. Okay, okay, delving into the sea of fertility in my twenties. Um, yeah, it was kind of head spinning. I think I've I've read the thing like maybe like three times now. I think wow. just yeah in my twenties, thirties, and forties. So you know, and I get something different every time. Like wow. I think most masterworks. So, um, so the elevator pitch for Sea of Fertility though is is awesome. It is it is awesome. Like I'm surprised it hasn't been made into a Netflix series, um, because it's one guy in this case shigakuni honda um watches a soul be reincarnated through the course of his life and the soul keeps dying at the age of 20. so through the four books he sees four reincarnations of the soul and the first one in spring snow which i would say is like a, a story of star-crossed lovers his best friend is this is in like the 1910s in Japan. So it's like this very strange Easternizing culture. Um, and, and his friend Kiyawaki uh, Matsuge um, is, is, you know, it's his best friend and has like no real interests or passions in life. He's just kind of this disaffected youth, right? Um, and they both have this mutual acquaintance, uh, Satoko. Um, and he, he falls in love with her by by hook and by crook it's like this uh kind of comedy of errors but you know he finally has that passion and then he gradually dies as he's trying to go finally profess his love for her at her nunnery because she's you know she's cloistered now she mm-hmm. she's become a nun um and when he like he gets pneumonia on a you know a winter trek in the nunnery they take him back to the hospital and like the last thing he says to honda his best friend who's watching all this is say like see you beneath the falls he's like hmm. what the hell does that mean mm-hmm. um so that's you know again like 400 pages to get there it's it's not easy going that that especially that first book because it's like you know it's that kind of like comedy you have to know a little bit about ja- japanese aristocracy like the the little manners that are going on it's it's not that easy to get into uh, yeah there, of, there's a lot of subtlety it's very well done but it is it is subtle I, I was really I, I was listening to the audiobook version over the last week and it's like this is very all of everything is very delicately arranged in this book yeah it's like beautifully it, done yeah yes not easy to read I, mm. I would say not not easy to break in but a second book and each of these has its own merits and and demerits but I, you know because it's such a, a messy sprawling masterwork I would say uh second one's runaway horses I'd say that's like a straight up like action military conspiracy thriller, like 1930s Japan, rapidly like um, going fascist, whipping itself up into what would become, you know, 
um, island hopping, you know, the wrong way. Um, you know, and, and Shigakuni Han is middle-aged at this point and he's, uh, you know, he's, he's married without kids. He, he works, uh, like as a judge of some kind. Um, and he encounters this, this, uh, Isao, uh, kid's name is Isao, who has the same three moles on his, on his, uh, side that Kiwaki is, his friend did. So he immediately becomes interested and he notices these moles while he's seeing Isao bathing under a waterfall. So you're like, oh, here we go. Like, you know, the supernatural reincarnation. Um, and so like Isao is like, you know, a really fiery young person. He's like, you know, again, 18, 19, leading up to that, you know, crucial age right. 20. And, um, you know, he's a kendo master. Kendo's, you know, the bamboo swords, like you kind of play fighting. Um, mm. But he wants to live and die purely for the emperor. Mm. Um, so when Isao's arrested for setting up the assassination plot to take out like all sorts of ministers um, across Japan, um, Honda is like, no, I'm going to save this kid. And, you know, resigns from his judgeship and represents uh, Isao in court. Mm. And, um, you know, he, he like gets him some kind of pardon or some kind of like parole release. And of course, Isao goes off and he, he assassinates, you know, the one minister. Um, and, and but for that, he does have uh, Isao does have a dream about being a woman in the prison. It's one of these oh. weird like drifting point of view section. So you see where this is going. Um, right. But uh, yeah, he assassinates the minister. And then, you know, it's the. The scene um, that was you know, much quoted, I think, after like Mishima actually offed himself, was uh, he describes Isao killing himself as the sun's rising on the cliff, um, and it's it's actually pretty like pretty gross and bleak. So you know, you wonder what actually went through Mishima's head when he was actually doing himself. But, right. Yeah, so, I wondered that thinking about when Mishima did it, like forget my personal understanding of it and desire lack of desire to do such a thing i wondered at that moment for him did it feel like but what, what was there a relief did it feel like apotheosis you know no one will ever know but you well, wanted the moment that that's paul schrader film the very end of it that's the moment and then we mm -hmm. go away from him and it's like unknowable he goes mm -hmm. to a place that yeah. none of us can follow Right. Really. Not right. really. Yeah. Uh, very yeah. few people. Has anybody, I wonder how many people have committed seppuku uh, since Mishima. It can't be more than 50. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Right. A handful of people. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. few yeah. and far between. And pre people probably learned something from his attempt because, like, I mean, the gross detail is that, like, you know, his, what I forget the term, they have the second who's supposed to, like, you know, basically limit your suffering. Like, he took a couple whacks and he didn't do the job. And that, yeah. that's like, they reported that pretty extensively. And, and another guy had to come in and actually do the, uh, the coup yeah. de gras. Yeah. So, and I uh, think you said on the core episode, it's that is the ultimate, you had one job. Yeah, you had one job. <laughs> you know, if I was that guy and I wasn't planning on it, I might commit seppuku after, yep. right after that. Just like, uh, you know, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty my, big boot. My best Shame. guess is that he, he felt like he was, uh, uh, channeling the samurai mm. he he was so for him I, i'm sure it was religious mm. it was spiritual uh mm. somehow um that's yeah, my best guess that. yeah i yeah. mean ugh. 
Yeah. Yeah. No. Very mm. messy. Very oh, messy. <laughs> yeah. No. No bueno. No me gusta. <clears throat> so then yeah. we go from the the runaway horses, and then what is next after that? Oh yeah, the uh, the Temple of Dawn, okay. and that's man. If spring snow is kind of impenetrable, the Temple of Dawn is a little out there too. Cause that's that's where Shigakuni Honda, like successful like merchant at this point, and this is like World War II, kind of like pre World War II into the fifties, and he's like businessman. He's swinging deals international across the Eastern Hemisphere, whatever, and um, and there's so much abstract philosophy and like like book of Buddhists reincarnation and that's where he's really digging into like when am i going to see my ex-best friend former protege again and of course like he's on a business trip to thailand and then there's a little like crazy princess they call her like mad princess named ying chan she's like three years old at that point and she like immediately recognizes him and uh it's like one of the chilling parts of the book right like she's like um they do it through a translator but like the girl like leaps out of her throne and like clings onto his leg and Mm -hmm. and she's like chattering away in Thai and he's like translate translate and she's like I'm so sorry Mr. Honda like I meant to tell you like you know I shouldn't have done that and like you got to take me back to Japan wow it's written and it builds up to that and it's like not expected at that point in the book it's like sure one one of the key moments there well, and it seems like it seems like Mishima has taken more than two books to like. Uh, it seems like maybe up to this point is the reincarnation thing really happening, or is it sort of Honda projecting onto it? And this is like the the monster, you know, it's it's actually happening. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Yep. That is one of the yeah the key links that that would make one think. Yeah, interesting. And the um. And then, yeah, the princess grows up. She's super beautiful, but she like so she doesn't remember any of this, you know, as she's like getting in her teen years, whatever. And um, he does come to study in Japan. And, you know, Honda, like, I got to say the best part of the novel, as you reread it, especially now in middle age for me, um, mm-hmm. white hair aplenty, um, is watching Honda, like, become like from this like straight A student to like this corruptible lawyer to hear he like he starts getting involved in like voyeurism like he starts mm. getting a little perverse <laughs> and that's um you know he he has to confirm that ying chan is like the reincarnation again and, like so he's got to see the three moles so like he like sets up like a love affair between him and like his like buddy his like woman buddy and okay. um, spies spies on them through a peephole in his like guest room wow. and then like there's some action in there because like the house burns down that night you're like how did the house burn down so there's there's action going on it's like he's yeah, actually yeah. twisting threads um and then yeah the the final uh denouement the, the decay of the angels the fourth book and that's like uh, oh i i skipped over ying chan goes back to thailand gets bitten by a snake dead age uh-huh. so right right you know, the cycle so, continues yeah 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 so Decay of the Angel, um, Toru is this, it's from his point of view too. It gets weird. Like some of the points of view start drifting. You guys would find it really interesting. It's like, all of a sudden he's like drifting away from Honda. Then why is he doing this? Right. Uh, the effect is really good. Um, but uh, yeah, Toru is this kind of like um, 
again, disaffected, but like he's kind of a weird off-putting character and he's like a lighthouse signalman. Um, and he's constantly like hounded by this ugly girl that she's described as ugly. And like, so uh, Honda rolls up on the lighthouse and he like notices the moles and he's like, I'm adopting that kid. He just goes right for it. <laughs> and then Toru, like it becomes like Pygmalion, right? Like he's trying to train Toru to be like a rich person's son and, and all this. And Toru becomes like an absolute shithead. Like he becomes like corrupted and he's like beating Honda up. He's doing all, he's stealing money and everything. And then basically like Honda's friend tells Toru like, no, 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 you got, you have to die at 20. That's why Honda like, you know, um, adopted you. And then so Toru giving the whole show away, but that's why we're here. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Spoiler yeah. alert. If you really want to get, yeah, that's, yeah. If you really want to read yourself up to this, just, skip ahead a little bit yes yeah exactly um so they tell like the, the friend of honda like tells toru like yeah you're gonna die at 20 so toru just tries to take matters in his own hands he's control and he poisons himself but he goes blind oh, so he's God. all like he becomes like discolored and he's all he's all jacked up um and blind and he he like just kind of sits around and lives with the the ugly girl and um mm -hmm. and his 20th birthday passes and he becomes 21 and like nothing happens so honda's like i was wrong the whole time so honda you know feels that like he has to like go to the source of this so honda in the meantime is becoming terminally ill but does nothing about it he's one of these illnesses where like he knows something's wrong he's putting off the doctors you know his one remaining friend is like you got to get treatment so he skips the crucial hospital appointment and he goes to visit the initial love interest satoko at the nunnery and um and he's going to just commiserate with her like mm -hmm. you know kiwaki um and she's now like the abbess she's the head of the the nunnery um and so in the crucial moment and this is where the ambiguity comes in and i would say like the absolute mastery beauty what have you um he confronts her and she's like i don't know who you are and i don't know who kiyoaki is i i i don't know any of these people that was in my but my past life i don't remember and he's and i even some of these passages i mean maybe we should get into this um is there a bit you want to read would uh, a bit you would like to read maybe yeah i think You'd so love to read on the pod yeah i think so because um No, Mr. Honda, I have forgotten none of the blessings that were mine in the other world. But I fear I have never heard the name Kiyoaki Matsuge. Don't you suppose, Mr. Honda, that there never was such a person? You seem convinced that there was, but don't you suppose that there was no such person from the beginning anywhere? I couldn't help thinking so as I listened to you. Why then do we know each other? And, and the Ayakuras and the Matsuges must still have family registers. Yes, such documents might solve problems in the other world. But did you really know a person called Kiyoaki? And can you say definitely that the two of us have met before? I came here 60 years ago. Memory is like a phantom mirror. It sometimes shows things too distant to be seen, and sometimes it shows them as if they were here. But if there was no Kiyoaki from the beginning, Honda was groping through a fog. This meeting here with the abbess seemed half a dream. 
He spoke loudly as if to retrieve the self that receded like traces of breath vanishing from a lacquer tray. If there was no Kiyowaki, then there was no Isao. There was no Ying Chen, and, and who knows, perhaps there has been no I. For the first time, there was strength in her eyes. That too is as it is in each heart. Oh. So, um, so, and then the, the next scene is, I, I won't read the whole thing because I think people should experience the full breadth of the, pas- the passage, but like he, the, the last few lines, he goes out into the garden and it's just this absolutely sunbathed, but like kind of strangely cold um, uh, landscape. And, and it, it's just, it's beyond his point of view. Even he says it, it it was a bright, quiet garden without striking features, like a rosary rubbed between the hands, the shrilling of cicadas held sway. There was no other sound. The garden was empty. He had come, thought Honda, to a place that had no memories, nothing. The noontide sun of summer flowed over the still garden. And then that's, you know, the last words, the end. The Sea of Fertility, right. November 25th, 1970. Um, and, so, and, wow. There's so many, there's so many strong little bits in these two parts that you read. I just revisit them briefly. Just you know, I I love good you know good writing. So let me just <laughs> the the one uh, uh, memory is like a phantom mirror. It sometimes shows things too distant to be seen, and sometimes it shows them as if they were here. That's beautiful. And then the, all this also this metaphor. Um, he spoke loudly as if to retrieve the self that receded like traces of breath vanishing from a lacquer tray. I mean, that's such a that's such a perfect little image. Um, and it encapsulates so much. I mean, you know, even I, I almost imagine this. So has so like a I don't know that much about like Japanese tea ceremony, but I can imagine yes. this is a this is a part of a, of a Japanese uh environment home environment that i can picture it's like i can see the whole thing that's so so good and of course the last the last lines there are just kind of haunting and then you you know you have to remember i mean part of the reason we do this show is we're thinking about the artist and the work you have to basically imagine mishima writes that and then Mm -hmm. walks outside to his end right he sure did yeah, and if it stayed right, and he has an image yeah. of the rosary at the very end as well. Just so, so yeah. unusual. Um, yeah. He's thinking about and the rosary when you know how he ends his life. I don't want to get to be too. Um, oh, I don't know, but I mean, what are you talking? You're talking about pulling your pulling your guts out of your out of your yeah. stomach and blood and the blood of the mother. And here comes my son. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, he was uh, literal as a little as a little boy just ran. Oh, that's, that's... But, uh but yeah, no, that that's a good point too. Yeah, where where exactly is is that coming from? And and I think, you know, I think if someone were to have a simplistic perspective of Mishima, especially that final move in his life, I think they would assume if you were to ask them, hey, what do you think? What do you think the last scene he ever wrote was? I think it would be something more violent, more political, more yeah. something. It wouldn't be this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially after like he wrote the death scene in that second book. And then this one's like, this is the beyond. This is, yeah. like, this is something like him coming to peace almost with his own end. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's like 
as as I've read this tetralogy, um, you know, over now decades, I guess, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the middle age, um, the initial take I had as a 20 year old man, I was like, oh, Honda's terminally ill. He dies on his way up to the monastery or the, the nunnery, mm-hmm. right? That's There's all... one particular part where like, it's like suddenly he's like out of breath and like he's describing dead trees and everything. And then it takes on a weirder tint. Like the, the prose takes on a weirder flavor. I was like, boom, he, he dies there and he's entered into his own kind of reincarnated existence, which yeah. I, I think that works. I, I think yeah. that, I think that's legit. But then there's like, you know, you read the biographers, like, like you guys mentioned at length, like, um, and, and especially the other biographer, the British biographer Stokes, who is like his friend, but not as much of a friend as the other biographer that you guys. Yeah. John Nathan. Yeah. Yeah. Stokes said like the whole ending was like a joke. It was like a, it was a joke perpetrated on his reading public. He was like, I am into like swordplay, the shield society, the action and the coup. And this book is like, I'm just pissing it away. And it's like, the work means nothing. Mm. And it's like, okay, I, I think, you you could say that. I mean, even like Misham has said at one point, like, I mean, the whole title, right? Like Sea of Fertility is like, I think he even quote was like, he named it after like the uh, um, Sea of Fertility is intended to suggest the arid sea of the moon that belies its name. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say that it superimposes the image of cosmic nihilism on that of the fertile sea, which kind of mm-hmm. jives, right? With like the, the garden becoming this like, strangely loud but like sunny like kind of lifeless it's like this weird alien planet yeah um and and would jive with the whole project being a little bit of a joke right yeah i mean yeah if you're gonna it totally call it does. It's, yeah it's like calling greenland it's like calling greenland greenland it's <laughs> yeah, like <that's> exactly. <laughs> yeah exactly hey the joke's yeah. on you guys like you made it through like 1500 pages of like this in-depth yeah you know literary well, masterwork and he did well, and write it's a, also, also could be like well and it, it, if it's a meta joke there is a quality of just like total onanism in the literary thing yeah, where you're just masturbatory <laughs> you're in your own head you think you're in mishima's head but you're really in your own you know he could mm-hmm. be i he see, strikes me as somebody who could be operating at that level yeah oh yeah well, and and delighting in in fucking mm-hmm. with people to be like yeah this is and, I'm, i and, made you and he, and he did mm-hmm. in Sun and Steel, I don't have the quote handy, but he did in Sun and Steel definitely start to um, express a, what would the word be, a, a distrust or a perspective on writing that it was incomplete or or even, you know, deleterious to like truly living in some way. I mean, there could be, yeah. there could be, I could, I could, and he's a difficult guy to understand, yeah. but I could see him like making the whole point of like, it's all, it's all bullshit. See, I can do this for 1500 pages and at the end I can just sort of, yeah. um, yeah. And really. even to back up what you're saying, is like he had like according to the Nathan biography, like there was an art exhibit at like this department, um, like right before the Sea of Fertility, you know, ended and before the seppuku and everything. And he was talking about like four rivers, you know, the river of books, the river of the theater, the river of the body, and the river of action. And it was clear like there's like a whole sort, of, but it's like basically like the river of action is the superior one. That's like the the culmination. 
and it's like okay like i think he's he's really okay. like it was this was a big joke he's like fuck you guys i'm out the mm-hmm. way of action is the way is the way yeah. of life but yeah. i don't know i'm i'm reading it in my 40s i think it's actually like a it's an even deeper like i barely even struggle to wrap my mind around it or words around it but like it's like his authorial statement right like on on the fact that like he created this whole world he is the god of this world and he made you feel something for like 1500 pages and along those 1500 pages he had you believing like in reincarnation he's taken you through japanese history you're seeing this guy go from like straight a student to like this corrupt disgusting you know voyeur and um yeah i mean he he said like you know the the final written line like a second manuscript like on his desk supposedly was like human life is limited but i would like to live forever that's mm-hmm. that was like his actually final line like on a whatever nap or something right like right and um he did right like that is like literary immortality so like as much as like it looks like hey this guy like you know perpetrated a joke you could read it as and then like off himself to like put a final splash of blood on that on that statement it's like actually like i think it is like he was just punctuating the literary work i I think he actually was like this i can't do better than this if anybody can do better than this go for it yeah yeah very interesting there's i'm I'm finding really poignant so uh, if you could just redescribe a part of the plot so i think you were saying the the in the final book the 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 latest incarnation is this sort of troubled young man that honda immediately adopts and yeah. then um another character informs this this orphan that honda believes he's gonna die when he's 20. is that is that right yeah yeah and so yep. so so the orphan just decides to take into his own hand there there is something there is something um there is something kind of uh, very touching about that. And I do see this literally as somebody else in middle age where it's sort of like sometimes the things that you've sort of tried the hardest to do have have you've screwed them up because they were the thing you tried the hardest to do somehow. It's there, yeah, there's parts that's... of life that are like, <laughs> have you ever dropped something fragile and yes. in trying to catch it, you knock it back up into the air and you make that's... it way worse? <laughs> Yes. You know, and it might have been time. okay if you hadn't messed with it. Yeah. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes aspects of life feel like that, where it's like, man, maybe if I wouldn't have been. So that there's something touching to me uh, about that, just as like a almost like an irony of of our, you know, our loves and our, our interests and what we take on as our responsibilities, whether or not we even are capable of doing it, or even if that responsibility, it's even possible to take on that responsibility. Yeah. yeah, very yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. And the, the whole work, all four books, is chock full of those little, like, occasionally funny. Like, it's not a laugh riot. You know, it's you're, you're not going to go to Mishima for, like, out-and-out comedy. He's, like, kind of ham-fisted when he tries it most of the time. There are yeah. amusing little parts, amusing little, like, situational ironies. It's, like, uh, it's the full full gamut of the human experience. I think he, like, he did it. He did yeah. it. You know, yeah. he, he captured a couple generations like a mouth yeah yeah how, how many how long did he take writing these i would have to go back to the notes but i'm pretty sure he started in 66 or 65 
Oh my God, four or five years. Yeah, but in the meantime, he was writing all these other books that were like the little throwaways to like, Uh, you know. I feel like, Seth, I don't know about you, but as a a novelist, it makes me feel a little bit of a slacker. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm trying, but like, (laughs) dang. (laughs) That's even like, um, I'm I'm always fascinated. I'm I'm sure you are too, like by the the habits, you know, writers Mm -hmm. always throw that. Yeah. And yeah, he would sit down at midnight and I think he'd like write till like four or five a.m. Like he was yeah. total total maniac. Yeah. yeah. To, to Kevin's point, like, yeah, he was like he was a live nerve. He just like couldn't shut down. Just yeah. like did he sleep even when he was sleeping? Right. Probably not. Probably just going, going, going. Yeah, it's fa- it's absolutely fascinating. Um, you know, we got well, we're we're gonna at some point we're going to close this down. We're going to move to the, 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 the Patreon portion, the after dark, where we're going to talk about, um, the film he made. That, that went so fast. It did. That we was, got a, I got a, this, I got a couple other that, questions. But, for but, yeah, but it was exactly the amount of time it took for Mishima second to chop his head off. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, God, Max, Max cringe, Max pain. Terrible. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we laugh so we don't cry on the spot. Yeah, that's yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to talk about a film that that Mishima made, uh, Patriotism, um, and we're also going to talk about which people can watch. It's out there. It's floating around on YouTube. But we're going to talk about it a little bit, um, and we're also going to talk about a little anecdote about uh, Mishima's sexual pro- proclivities, as described in a biography. Might be true. Might not be true. Um, it's certainly interesting and it's a little it's it's perhaps a little uh what would the word be a little titillating yeah Yeah. (laughs) so so we're gonna save that we're gonna save that for uh for uh patreon supporters at uh patreon.com slash art of dark pod but before we get there seth i I do want to ask you um there's a lot of other work uh, in addition to the Sea of Fertility, and, and of course, you know, for handing out reading assignments, I think that's probably the first place to go is the Sea of Fertility. But are there other some other? What are the other Mishima works that you you find best? What what could you put up there on that same shelf? One of the newly translated minor works I thought was really good, The Frolic of the Beasts, that oh, came okay. out like just in the last couple of years. And then I think you guys even mentioned Temple of the Golden Pavilion is like really dense. Mm-hmm. It's really really good. For the Misha mm-hmm. Oof, I will say that the one that I've gone back to, audiobook, whatever, um, the sailor who fell from grace with the sea. I mean, it has, for my money, the absolute best ending line. Period. It includes, oh, yeah. you know, isn't it pretty to think so? It includes like, you know, and so we beat on boats against the current, burn back ceaselessly into the past. Like it's it's as good as those. Yeah, and yeah. So yeah, I would I would recommend that one. Like, yeah, no, yeah. those are those are both. Those are and what was the other one? The frolics of the frolic of the beasts. Frolic of the beasts. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay, I'll look for that. Um, I, the other thing I wanted to ask you is, what do you make of? And sometimes it's difficult to tell how true this this actually is. But what do you make of the Mishima resurgence? I'm I'm assuming it seems like there is one. Uh, what do you make of it? Why is it happening? What, what does it mean? Whatever you, whatever thoughts you have on that. That's man. That's that's the six-four-dollar question on, <laughs> on X, Twitter, Muskville, whatever. Right, um, right, right. Yeah. Well, that's I, part of the problem. Is it's like I spent a month typing Mishima into Google every day, and now oh, I suddenly it seems to me like there's a resurgence. Like yeah. I don't know, but 
no there kind of is there kind of is and i mean it's like there's obviously people who like are like not even hardcore right wingers but they're like they identify with him and like what he's like standing for what they think he stands for Mm -hmm. and again as a side note i don't think i buy any of the politics like the the fascistic coup i think that's kind of like that was part of the the set piece for him to do what he was going to do anyway that's the conclusion uh, I kind of came to, too, is, is the politics were, if anything, they were sort of a sideline or an asterisk. Yeah, yeah a, a means to a to an end, mm-hmm. um, literally. Um, and yeah, that, that professor I mentioned, Botsford, like he totally pooed that, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he said, like, whatever, was, you know, playing playing soldier. I forget how he said it. But um, mm-hmm. and, and he and that, that professor, by the way, as a side note, like he had this like pirate voice. He talked like, this, you know, and he always <laughs> said, like. We'd be like, yo, what was like Yamishima? Like young dudes fascinated with the dude who killed himself on the day he published the masterpiece. He said, Oh, Mishima was a pederast. He wasn't a bad one. He never acted on it. And you know, it was like, okay, what is what what does that even mean? Um yeah. but so yeah, at any rate, <laughs> that's a side note. But um no, he, he speaks to us because and he is resurging in popular popularity, partly because of his splashy death. Partly because he did write amazing work and it is like, you know, one hopes that the good stuff lives on no matter mm-hmm. what. Right. Um, so I think a mix politics, the, the pose and um, and man, he had the goods. Yeah, yeah, you could could back it up for sure. That's that's the most important thing. It is good to see a resurgence of something that actually is 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 worth it. And yeah, you you know, you can get. Yeah, I mean, in, in masculine masculinity is like her, her horribly in crisis, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is a fellow who speaks to that in a in a wild kind of intense, immediate way. And he's not that far away. He feels somehow ancient, protean, but yeah. he did this in 1970. The Beatles were oh, in full up. swing. Yeah, where they've already broken up. Yeah, they yeah, already broke yeah. it up. Yeah, you're <laughs> right. right. Yeah, yeah, the Beatles were done. Yeah. Crazy. So, yeah, Zeppelin was on the way. I mean, yeah, when yeah. he did this, yeah, yeah, nuts. Nuts. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose you're right, Kevin. And I think too, it's like if there is something like a um, a search for meaning going on, if people are, if that is something that's happening, and I I think that's true, it, there is a way where it's like, oh, certainly Mishima had an idea of what the meaning of like, you know, it's very extreme, but maybe it's like, maybe it's like I can understand that one, not to incorporate it, but maybe it tells us. I don't know, something about how you can make your life meaningful. I, I don't know. I think both of those are great points. Yeah, definitely. It seems like, yeah, men much more are drawn to him, right? Mm. Whether that is like, you know, he was jacked and he was a Nobel Prize finalist and he like, he checked out the day of his masterpiece. You know, it's like, it's hard to beat that storyline. Pretty hardcore. I, I think, wasn't it Paul Schrader, I think said like, when he was like making the movie, he's like, if Mishima didn't exist, I would have had to have created him. It was yeah. like the most pretentious thing ever, but I was like, actually, I get why Paul Trader of Taxi Driver fame would say something like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, holy shit, this was story to beat. So, yeah, no, I mean, Paul Schrader's his all of, all of his best movies are about like that sort of apotheosis well, through ter- <clears throat> final violence, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Well, I mean, and we're and I'm thinking a lot about Werner Herzog right now. I just read his memoir and I'm getting ready to write a review of it. And his his entire body of work to me seems to be about the the uh 
um, the turn into industrialization and the the anxiety yeah. that we feel about modernity, right? That's it sounds like a cliche, but like if you look at Werner Herzog's body of work, it's all there. And I think Mishima, and we all feel that anxiety. And now we've we've all many of us didn't even get to have a modernity. Like yeah. Yeah. modernity was expensive. And so a lot of us have been have been ripped right off the shtetl or right off the farm and mm -hmm. thrust into whatever this is here right now. And we get and, to watch modernity through a screen in front of us. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, right, right. Isn't that funny? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spectate it. It's very, yeah. very strange. And it's all tied up in class and regionalism and everything else. But there's there's Mishima. And there's a guy who like a truly in the Nietzsche, maybe the Nietzschean sense, the an untimely man, a man who like lived outside of time, who who ripped himself out of time yeah. in the course of his own life, and so yeah, he stands yeah. as an example for us. I mean, you think about like I think about my own modest career as a playwright and how that system has become taken over by the academy and by yeah, institutions, yeah. and it, we've all been turned into house pets and kind of you you want to yeah. it, it puts you in a position where you're almost made to grovel whether or not like it's ever stated. And like yeah. here's Mishima is like, nope, I've got my own right. <laughs> I've got my own militia. Yeah. I'm yeah. putting on my plays. I'll be putting on my plays now. Thank you. Right. Well <laughs> well and there yeah. there is something to yeah. it too. Again, it. like pure action. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's what, that's what I was going to get to. It's like, it, forget about the seppuku for a second, but just like, it, there is this example of like, yeah, what if you just did the thing that you were supposedly about? What if you just did it? Like, yeah. it's like, oh yeah, I guess you could just do it. Couldn't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? yep. yeah. Yeah. He dared to dream. He did. And he you know, whether that dream seems to us, <laughs> to me, it seems a little screwed up, but like, yeah. man, who am I to take away? Who am I to take away a man's like final effort at immortality? You know? I don't That's know. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Seth, this has been this has been fantastic, folks. Get llama with the gun. You know, uh, if you're an Art of Darkness listener, I know you you're looking for indie literature. The 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 literary arts are alive and well, despite reports the novel is not dead. Llama with a gun is proof of that. So find Seth on Twitter, um, Seth Augenstein. Uh, his links will be in the show notes. Please go support that book. Um, and of course, follow the man. And um, I guess that's all I got. Kevin, you got well, anything? Tease the, no, I'm having a great time. This is a lot of fun. Get into the Telegram. We love having people in the Telegram. T.me slash Art of Dark, Dark Pod, Art of Darkness listeners, some very interesting cats in there. Tease the Patreon one more time, Brad. What are we yeah, talking we're about gonna, Patreon? We're going to talk about the, sh the short film, about 30-minute film that Mishima made mm -hmm. called Patriotism in the mid-60s. And we're also going to talk about a uh, salacious biographical <laughs> anecdote about Mishima's sexual predilections. And it's not about pederasty, as, as was mentioned earlier. It's not about that really at all. It's Consenting adults. Else. Consenting okay. adults. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the, the after dark will be a pederasty free zone. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're talking Burroughs late this next time. week. That will not be. <laughs> this, um, time. So... this time. All over thank you. Yeah, thank me. you. Thank you so much, Seth. And, and uh, if you want to join us, uh, for the After Dark, patreon.com slash Thank you so much, both of you. Yeah.